All right, it says this. One day, as he was teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came and said to him, "Mm, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? He answered them, (laughs) I will also ask you a question. Tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or of human origin? Well, they discussed it among themselves. Well, if we say from heaven, he will say, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they were convinced that that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know its origin. And Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now he began to tell them, tell the people a parable. A man planted a vineyard, leased it to, to tenant farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers so that they might give him some fruit from the vineyard. But the farmers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent yet another servant, but they beat that one also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, but they wounded this one and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, Well, what should I do? Ah, I know. I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will listen and respect him. But when the tenant farmers saw him, they discussed it among themselves and said, Ah, this is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those farmers and give the vineyard to others. But when they heard this, they said, Ah, this must never happen. That must never happen. But he looked at them and said, Then what is the meaning of the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But whomever it falls on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. Then the scribes and the chief priests looked for a way to get their hands on him that very hour because they knew he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would open up your words to us. Lord, reveal to us your heart and and Lord, the, your words. These are your words. We're reading what you said to the people. God, I pray that you would teach us also here today. As we gather here as one in unity as your temple, Lord, I pray that this would be the table of your love that we would gather around, Lord, to hear your stories, to hear your your voice speaking to us about your heart and about your desire for us as your followers, as your disciples. We love you, God, and we pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So this morning's sermon is entitled, Receive the Son, Receive Life. And we'll talk more about that here in a moment. But uh, you ever seen, you know, there's so many different videos and things like that that you can watch on, on YouTube. And you see on social media. And occasionally I'll see these videos pop up um, of this person who did not listen to the police. And what happens when they don't listen to the police officers? Bzz, they get tased. And it's, I, I watched you know several of these videos this week, um, just to just to remember to remember remember these things and to remember some of the things that I remembered he, them saying, and it's interesting how every single one of these people that were just obstinate against police officers and their authority, 
Like, I don't recognize you. I'm not going to follow. You can't do this. You can't take my ID. You can't arrest me. You can't do this. Well, I guess if you said I can't do it, I'm going to, all right, have a good day. (laughs) It's like, no, they have authority over our lives in certain areas. If we break the law, they have authority to put you in jail or to tase you and flop like a little fish on the ground. And then it's like, it's, it takes that, that in essence, the, the breaking of your will, um, thinking that you have all authority over your own life and the lives of others, and you're intentionally doing that which is wrong. Because <coughs> you refuse. I want to focus in on that word authority. Because that's the main question we're, we're talking about here this morning. The, you know, he was teaching in the, in the, in the temple. And they, they came and asked him, this is the whole basis for our entire passage this morning, you know, tell us, what authority are you doing these things? Why don't we talk about authority? Authority is this, you know, this, almost this value placed. It's, it's talk, this conversation about worth and about value and, and authority. Uh, whether you recognize it or not, you cannot commit a crime when the police come to arrest you. You can't say, I don't recognize your authority. I don't recognize you. Get away from me. Let go of me. Don't tase me. Worthy, you know, authority has the worthiness to enforce laws. And authority is earned and bestowed. So a police officer, let's stay on that train for a little bit, you know, has to go to the academy, has to go and get education, he has to go and learn and do practices. He has to go and actually learn and, and pass tests, both in the classroom and on the field. He has to pass driving tests, right? And, you know, over at Journey Church, over at the Commons, they set up cones for the Sheriff's Department to train them on how to drive and to test people on their ability to drive and drive offensively and defensively, as law enforcement is sometimes required to. And so what makes people worthy or valuable or, you know, of authority is that they earn that authority. And they're not only earned, but you have to earn it by what? By, by submitting to an authority figure and by which that authority gives it to you. They pass along their authority, which is the whole, whole uh, thing about in, in our passage today. Passage today. Um, and so I want to talk about that. Whoever receives the Son receives life. Receive the Son and you receive life. All three of these sections, like I said, go together. First is the question, a.k.a. the confrontation, the testing, the, the, the poking the bear of these, of these chief priests. Because remember, we're not talking about the Pharisees anymore. The, we're not talking about the religious elite. Remember, the, the triumphal entry was the very last time we hear about the Pharisees in the book of Luke. Everything on, on from, that, from then on is about the chief priests and the scribes. This, these are the elite in, in Israel, in, in Judaism. And so they're coming and they're con- confronting Jesus because the Pharisees have, have, and the Sadducees have already given up. They're, they're done asking, asking Jesus questions. Then Jesus' question to them, which is interesting, Jesus' question to them is his answer. The answer is in the question. It's actually in the assumption of their answer, of what their answer should be. 
Then he gives them, what? A parable. Yet another answer to their question and a commentary about the broken and pitiful state of the religious rulers in that day. Um, So let's go a little little bit deeper into this passage. One day. It says one day. The very first couple words. One day as they were in, in the temple, right? So one day, so according to a study of the timeline in this passage, uh, in the in the Gospels, <coughs> um, this is, you know, Luke's one day appears to be about Tuesday of Passion Week. Because um, we have, you know, kind of a breakdown that, you know, the Sunday was the triumphal entry. And then, uh, as we know from, from Mark, it said at the end of that, that Jesus went into the temple, looked around, and then went back to Bethany. And then the next day on Monday, came and handed, you know, the sellers and stuff their butts on a silver platter. You know, know, clearing the temple, chasing the sellers and and the money changers and the people who are selling the sacrifices in the temple. They're occupying the space that should have been meant for prayer and worship. Um, And then we we see this teaching is on Tuesday. Um, So let's let's go back and look at that question again. The question, by what authority do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? You know, AKA, who made, who died and made you the boss? <laughs> you know, who gave you what permission? Permission to do this. So, what are these things? Leo, who gave who gave you authority to do what? These things. What are the things that they're talking about? Well, maybe they're talking about several different things. Maybe they're talking about the triumphal entry. Well, who gave you authority to come into Jerusalem with such pomp and circumstance? Letting and allowing people to worship you. And saying, oh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, like a king of us? Who gave you the authority? Who died and made you king? Or maybe the clearing of the temple the next day on Monday. Who gave you authority to clear out those who are selling and extorting and occupying the space meant for prayer and worship? But it's interesting. Another, another gospel says that Jesus was also not allowing people to walk through the temple and carry, you know, carrying things. Not just like, you know, carrying the, sac- the sacrifices in order to deliver something to the temple. He was, these, these people were, pe- were basically using the temple as a cutoff, as a shortcut. And they were carrying things on the way to their home on the other side of Jerusalem using and treating the temple as a common space and not a venerable, sacred space that God wanted to use to be worshipped, a place of prayer, a place of honoring their true king. It's interesting, though, to look at this. All these things that the people in the temple were doing were given authority and permission to do them by the people asking the question the chief priests and the scribes gave all the extorters and the, and the one and the people selling and, and walking through, through the temple. They gave them permission and authority to do it. Or maybe even like the teaching in the temple, you know, this, this position of, of teacher or rabbi was one of authority. If you were teaching, especially in the temple, you had authority. Because you were also given authority by what? Your rabbi. Because you were taught the ways. You were, you were raised, by the time you were five, five years old, you were memorizing Torah. And then by the time you were 13, you, were, you started, if you were going to go the rabbinical route, then you were taught the law and the prophets and, and memorizing. And then you were taught the traditions, the, the, the Talmud and the, the Mishnah and the traditions of the elders. Right? 
teachings of the elders. You were trained in the ways of, ra- of a rabbi like Paul. Paul, what he said he was trained at the feet of Gamaliel, which we also read in Acts 5, was a prominent member of the chief priests. So the guy who maybe trained Paul may even be one of the chief priests asking Jesus this question. Going to him, hey, who's your rabbi? Is basically the question. Who's your teacher? Whose authority are you using and utilizing here in the temple? All of these things were typically done and recognized by the religious ruling elite, and they gave permission. They gave authority or recognition of your authority. Because if there's a rabbi that fell out of favor, all of his disciples were now invalid too. But here, here's the, the point that Jesus is trying to make. So he uses this parable. He, uses, you know, he goes from this question about John the Baptist and he kind of, it's not this, he doesn't like reverse trick them. Like they're trying to trap him. He doesn't like reverse trap them. In essence, he kind of does. But more, it's he's trying to tell, show them the answer. Now who, who, yeah, who did John, who sent John? Well, the automatic answer to that for them and the people is God sent John. John came from God. And that's the authority from which Jesus has to teach and to have the pomp and circumstance and to enter the temple with, with, in the course of praise and to drive out the sellers. Like we talked about last week, or maybe it was a couple weeks ago, it's Passover. It's the, pre, the, it's the week of preparation leading up to the Passover. And right now, all of the Jewish children and families should be at home clearing their house of leaven, going and searching out the 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 chametz, right? And getting it out, getting it out of the house. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. That's exactly what Jesus did. He went into his father's house and was getting the leaven, which represents sin and distortion and brokenness and evil, getting it out of his father's house. So who's his authority? The father. His father is the authority. And he has bestowed that authority upon Jesus. And so he tells this, this parable. He's like, ah, I'm not going to answer your question. But I will. I'm going to answer it with a, with a parable. <laughs> so here's another one of his answers. And so the heart of the Father, the heart of God is exuded in this. By the very first line, he talks about the, the man, planted a, you know, man planted a vineyard. This man is God. Leased it to tenant farmers. So these are the religious rulers, Right. And he went away for a long time. <clears throat> At harvest time, he sent the servant to the farmers so that he might, what? Give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. God desires to enjoy the fruit from his kingdom. And not just hoard it for himself, he, to share it with the workers. To share it with us. To share. He, God's blessings are for his people. We talked about last week, you know, God, you know, Jesus' passion and compassion was what? For, not against, is for his people. God desires to share all good things with his kingdom, with his people. For them in this passage with Israel, for us today in the church. Jesus desires, God desires to enjoy the fruit from his kingdom and to share it. The point of this parable is that God is the authority. 
He's the owner. Everything belongs to him. And that authority cannot be taken from him for long. Because think about it. He, he entrusted Israel to the religious rulers for a season. He even talks about all over the place in, in the Old Testament, talking about the, the, the shepherds and how these you know, shepherds beat the sheep and how the, the shepherds used the sheep. The shepherds shepherd for their own glory, not for the good of the sheep. And he's warning Israel about the, these bad shepherds. And then what does he call himself in, in John? Chapter John. Chapter John? <laughs> in the book of John, chapter 10. The good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice and I know my sheep. And I want, I will, you know, I will Psalm 23 them. I will lead them to good pasture. I will water them in, in, the, in the still water so they don't freak out. Because sheep are easily, you know, easily spooked. That's why he led them to the still waters, not the rapids and the, and the rushing water, because they would just run away. He leads them to water that they will receive. Leads them to lush pastures. He protects them with his staff. He cares for them. He shows himself to be a good shepherd. These false shepherds, these under-shepherds that are abusive shepherds, their thinking's all messed up. Their, their, their way of leading God's people is broken. It's all about them. It's all about their power, all about their authority. <clears throat> you know, in, in this passage, it's, it's like there may have been grace for these, for these tenants, right? What if they ever had responded? You know, they, maybe they, you know, it, like they didn't obey my servants. Well, maybe because they didn't recognize them. Maybe they didn't trust them. Maybe they're guarding my vineyard and my fruit. Huh? Huh? Maybe there's a little bit of grace there, right? But, oh, no. So maybe they just didn't recognize them or see, you know, they didn't remember their face. And so they're like, nah, no. But I'm going to send my son because they know him. They, they know my son. He's got my face. Right? Like Emily and I were just talking about this with Jackson the other day. You know, we're like, he is a spitting image of of of, of Amberlynn, if if you know if Amberlynn was a boy. <laughs> and uh, even yesterday, we we're like, yeah, yep, he's behind the behind the, the the men's bathroom. We were at camp, you know, probably playing in the dirt. Well, he is your son. <laughs> I just, you know, this you see the son, you've seen the father. They would have, they'll recognize my son. They'll recognize that it's my authority coming to them. I'll give grace for everything they've done to the other people. Maybe they thought they were protecting them. Well, the farmers did recognize the son, the heir. And in their weird mindset, they were like, oh, let's kill the master's son. That'll go well. Like, how... You kill the son, you get the vineyard? How does that even work? It doesn't. Their logic is so broken. And it's so interesting, in our, in our, in our world today, oftentimes we can be just like these guys. We can think that we are being faithful to God and yet we are trampling His people. Not just like the rulers, not just the pastors. I mean, there's statistics about pastors and all sorts of stuff. I mean, like I said, like last week I, I read this, I read a whole series of, of these, uh, these posts about, um, about, uh, um, 
Oh, I was talking about it on Wednesday. That, you know, I haven't told you guys. <laughs> so I, I read these, these whole series of articles about uh, like um, indoctrination and things and read this post about name a sermon that you have walked out of or name a church that you have walked out of. Why did you walk out of a church? And all these different things were just like crazy, stupid things that came out of the mouths of pastors. Like weird things. <laughs> Abusive things. Like, basically, you're dying because you're in sin. You have cancer because you must have done something wrong. Your, your son, you miscarried because there's sin in your life. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Some of the most disgusting, disgraceful, unmerciful things I've ever heard in my life. And it's no wonder that people all over the place are walking away from churches. Because they hear stories like this. Oh, all pastors are like that. All pastors are like these Pharisees that are all about themselves, are all about their position, all about their power, all about their authority. And even the difference between education and indoctrination. Basically, like the difference you know, with, with you know, teaching and education is that you cultivate an environment where people are encouraged to learn to face new evidence with a, with a critical eye and, and welcoming eye to say, okay, I need to, I need to discuss this. I need to think about this. I need to wrestle with this versus an indoctrination culture, which is basically the pastor said it. I believe it. That settles it. You can't question it. Just believe it. And it's interesting how, how many articles I read that every single article placed indoctrination, placed the church, placed religion in that, in this column of indoctrination. And that should not be the church. The church would be, my place is to equip you for your faith. How do you study the Bible? How do you wrestle and discuss and, and question, doubt? It's great. Because when you, you, when you doubt, you get answers. You get frustrated enough to go and seek. You, I mean, the Bible even says, you will what? Seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Seek, search after the deep things. Grow in your knowledge. Always be able and willing to wrestle with things and be willing to change your mind. Right? Metanoia. Oftentimes, right, repent. Right? We're talking about that this morning. Changing our minds, even if we've believed something for our entire life and we realize, oh no, it's wrong. It's okay. It's okay. If you, if you come to a place where you're like, biblically, I cannot reconcile this like this is not biblical even though i've believed it my entire life it's okay to sacrifice that at the feet of the cross and say lord help me and lead me i want to align myself with you i want to change my mind to what your word truly says with what your holy spirit is leading through the reading of your word and so when it comes to these pharisees there was no humility no humility to walk with God. What does he say about these about these these people? Remember, this is what happened. He will come and kill those farmers and entrust the vineyard to others. And like we talked about last week, that's exactly what happened. AD seventy happened. Go back and, and watch that sermon. It's it's a doozy. Um, <laughs> God sent what? Servants. He's talking about these different servants that he sent. These are the prophets to Israel 
to turn them back to God. But they what? Treated them shamefully, sent them away, beat them. And then what? Who's the son in this passage? Jesus. Jesus, they sent the son. And they can't, you know, this, Jesus came and they took him outside the walls, like they did in Jerusalem, and crucified him. They killed him. Jesus is basically saying, I know what y'all are up to. I know what you will do. But then the master, God, came and killed them and entrusted his kingdom to others, the church. So, the warning is reject the son, reject life. If you receive the son, you receive life. But if you reject the son, you reject the life that he offers. Jesus' point with all of this was that he was telling them, I know you. I know your value. I know that you will not change your mind. I know what you are trying to do to me, but you will not succeed. You will win the battle because, you know, you're supposed to. Because what? I'm going to let you. But I'm going to win the war. I will have my way. I will deliver my people from the oppression of your hands, one way or another. Then the scribes and the chief priests looked for a way to get their hands on him that very hour because they knew he had told this parable about them. But they feared the people. Hmm. This little section right here in the middle after they, after all these things, these things happen, they're like, "Ah, oh, this must never be. May it never be." Jesus said, "Well, then, what is the meaning of the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The builders, who? Yeah, the Pharisees. The Pharisees are rejecting Jesus, the cornerstone, the foundation of God's people. They're rejecting the very core, the, the very thing that set them up as a people. Because remember, Jesus established Israel." Jesus was the one that was hanging out with Moses in the, at the tent of meeting. When, you know, when Moses left, his face was glowing. He had to put a mask on, right? He was hanging out with Jesus. Jesus was the one that met people in the, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, walked in the cool of the morning with them. God himself in the flesh in Jesus. And there, these Pharisees are just sitting there going, ooh, let's look for a way to fulfill his prophecy. Because he just said, you're going to kill me. You will kill the son. They're like, how does that, again, the thinking. <laughs> All right. Let's go. Oh, let's kill the son. The very thing that the pro- that his parable just said they were going to try to do. Yeah. Right. It's like, ooh, let's fulfill the problem. Let's be like one of those vineyard tender. Let's be like those vineyard tenants and bring destruction on ourselves. Woo. Great idea. Great idea. The religious ruling elite refused to listen to him as their forefathers did. And they killed all the prophets. Even Jeremiah, where they started listening to him, but then they kidnapped him and took him to Egypt. He said, don't do this. Let's kidnap you and take you anyway. It did not go well for, not go well for them. Power and control were just too good to possess to possess. They they feared losing power and control. They had to have it. That was their God. Jesus was prophesying what they were about to do and what would happen, as we spoke of last week. 
So what are, where are we get, where are we going with this here this morning? Let me end with these with this with these thoughts. To recognize authority is to trust in that authority. And to trust in that authority is to result in to submitting, to submission to that authority. What could these guys have done in this passage? Well, they could have, you know, sat down and had a conversation with him. Hey, let's have some coffee together. Let me talk to your ideas. Listened with an open ear to what Jesus was saying and speaking. Listened to the testimony of all the things that Jesus had done. I mean, they knew. I mean, Lazarus was sitting there. Jesus could have been like, he was dead. And I said, come alive, and he woke up. He's a walking testimony. The blind Bartimaeus is walking with them. The miracle of, the, of Mary with the seven demons who had been delivered and was walking with Jesus since the beginning was right there. Right there. All He was surrounded with testimony after testimony of His authority as God. That He was the one who had the words to eternal life. He was the one that was doing all these works, doing all these miracles as signs and wonders that He is Messiah, that He is the Savior that is to come. And they could have come to believe in Jesus, who He was, recognize Him, trust Him, and submit like the hundreds that were following currently Him currently, the thousands and the millions that would do so after His resurrection. Jesus's power and I'm sorry, Jesus's identity, power and authority was reason to enough to recognize, trust and submit to him. Jesus's identity, power and authority is the reason today that we believe, that we recognize, that we trust, that we submit to his authority. Jesus is all powerful. And Jesus is all good. He is worthy of all authority. Let's look at a few passages here in Scripture. Let's talk, let's talk about this. Philippians. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, this is kind of an early church hymn, so they would have actually probably sung this, you know, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or grasped or held onto. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father." Ephesians, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of His strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at His right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the the one to come. 
He, and he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Colossians 2 says, Be careful that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. I want to close with these. And if these don't give you chills, maybe spend some time, more time with Jesus. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. That's Jesus. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Then I looked and heard this kind of a similar, similar image that, he, that John has. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the, thrones, around the throne and also the living creatures and the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. It's like millions probably. Then they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the earth, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Receive the Son and you receive life. Receive the one that all these scripture passages are talking about. Receive Jesus and receive life. Have you received the Son? Have you made Jesus your Savior and your Lord? Not just your Lord, not just your Savior, but your Lord. Is He Lord of your life? Does He get to be in the driver's seat and make the decisions? Is He the one that, whose way you follow? Whose opinion, opinion you believe? Whose, whose truth you receive? If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, the first step is to do that. The first step is to come and say, Yes. Yes, Lord, You are my Savior. I believe You died on the cross for me, for my sins, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Then You raised from the dead to Give me the promise of the, res- of the resurrection. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to be baptized as a proclamation of that faith. God gave us a way to proclaim our faith. It's going and being baptized. Going and saying, yes, you are my Lord. Faith, like I said, like I've said, like faith has this connotation of faithfulness, of saying, yes, I believe and I will follow. That was Jesus' whole thing. Repent and what? Be baptized. Believe and believe the gospel change your mind about your about your life believe my way align with my thinking my truth my life jesus might be loving compassionate merciful and kind to you because he paid for your sins but is he worthy 
of all glory and honor, power and strength in your life. Like I said, is he in the driver's seat? Because he is good, because he is a, I like to say, a benevolent dictator in your life, he gets to say what's up and, you know, what's up and down. He gets to say where you go. Because he is God and worthy of your trust. Is he worthy for you to change your mind about this life and certain areas in life which he is speaking and leading you? Do we listen to God and say, God, what do you want? Where are you leading? Where is your heart? Where is your desire? I will follow that. Because remember, we follow him. He doesn't follow us. We follow him. Receive him. Receive all of him. All of him. Receive his word implanted in your hearts. Receive the Holy Spirit poured out for into you. Poured out upon all flesh who comes to believe in him. Who comes to claim their faith in him. Because God is all-powerful and God is all-good. That's why I love things like the Psalms. That no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter if we are, if we are good, if we're bad, if we are struggling, if we are excited and joyful, if we're hurting and depressed and angry, if we've had something terrible happen in our lives... Realizing that God is the God who's with us through it all. He is the one who says, I will be with you. I am your comfort. We may be hurting and terrible things have been happening in our lives, but God is with us. Or as David would say, yet this I remember, this I call to mind and remember. I remember the Lord. I remember his goodness. I remember his power. He will establish me. No matter what's happening around me, no matter good, bad, ugly, joyful, I will praise the Lord. I will receive the Son and walk with Him because He's good. I love this this line. I want to end with this. Um, this is from this this book that I've been reading called After Doubt. It's a really interesting book. It's really good. But it's interesting to, to see. Now, this, this, this whole concept of what he's talking about here. Um, in the midst, so basically, back to, back to Psalm 22, where we can clearly see that the word in the key word in the text, yet, in the midst of the emotional turmoil in his life, there is a yet for the person following Yahweh. I may not have the spouse I dreamed up since I was a child, yet I know you are God. I may struggle with unwanted desires every single day, yet God is my sustainer and my shield. I may not be be able to walk free of my emotional anxiety and, and unrest, yet you will redeem me and restore me in due time as you see fit, God. This reflects the worldview that so, that differs so much from our own. Even in the church, whenever we sing songs that say things like, God will never let us down, I want to take my son out of the room. God is going to, quote unquote, let us down in the short term. God is going to let us fall. God is going to put put us through things that hurt greatly. But in the long term, God will restore. 
The marvel of the Psalms is that they simultaneously name the emotional turmoil, unrest, and anxiety of the author, yet preserve praise for God in the midst of it. And that is the God that we serve. The God that understands. He walked among us. He knows the turmoil. He knows the anxiety. He knows the the fear and the anger and the unrest and the depression, the frustration, especially with the religious people and frustrations with the world around us and the dramas and the control and the oppression. And yet, God is still with us. Yet, He is the one with all power and authority. Yet, He is good. And He will walk with us through the midst of the not-so-good. That is His promise. So will we receive Him? Trust Him? Submit to Him. Walk with Him. Receive the Son and receive life. Jesus, we thank You for Your presence with us and we thank You for Your Word. That it is both weighing on us but also an encouragement to us, Lord. An invitation to come and walk with You in the cool of the morning. An invitation to walk with You and be covered by Your wings of protection. To run to You our strong fortress to seek shelter in you, to run to you for your embrace in any season of our lives. So God, I pray that you would show us your, your presence with us, that you desire to always be with us, to you walk closely with us if we will recognize that you're there. Lord, to seek you and we will find you when we seek you, Lord, with all of our heart. That you love us and you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we love you and we pray that you would be with us throughout our week and encourage us as we walk from this place. In Jesus' name we pray all things. Amen.